Yeah. So I was just over here having a proud dad moment. I know you guys were all looking at the little kids, but I was looking at my daughter leading them. As she quickly runs away from me preaching, what's going on? I know, you sat through it a few times already. Now I can talk about her if she's gone. I'm just kidding. Hey, thanks for being here. And um, thanks for those of you who helped with, um, with this VBS. It was pretty incredible. So much work has put into it for months, literally for months, with all the digital content that was created and then with all the live stuff that we uh, kind of had to do because we decided in the last couple of weeks. So Karen and her team has just been phenomenal. Isai and his team as well as they created all the stuff. So um, pretty excited. I've already got ideas for what we're going to do for VBS next year. Um, I told that to Karen yesterday, and she's like, can we have one day of not having to think about this? No. You cannot. Um, so thanks for, thanks for being here. Hope we see you at the beach tomorrow. We'd love to see you at the beach tomorrow. That's going to be a good time down at Doheny State Beach. Um, and not to belabor the kid point, but um, all I wanted when I came to Crosswalk I wanted lots of things, but one of the things I really wanted was a place where my kids would feel at home and that they could grow in Jesus Christ. It was like the most important thing. And um, as we continue to build that out, we're going to continue to need your help. So if you want Crosswalk to be a place where your kids can grow up just drenched in the love of God, like we need your help and we want you to continue to do that. So thank you for that. And those of you who don't have kids, you're going to want this to be strong when you do. Trust me. You're going to want there to be a place for your kids can, where they can go. But... Today we are looking, it's our second week, we're looking at this idea of contrast in the book of Galatians. And today we're going to be talking about the true gospel versus a false gospel that they were being taught and they were being sucked into. And one of the things that happens in this book is, and and in all of Paul's books, Paul always introduces himself. He he wants you to know who he is, where he comes from, where where his authority comes from. It's really important. So if you read the book of Romans, if you read Ephesians, if you read Corinthians, he always says, I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, you know, all this stuff. And then he gets to the affirmations where when he finishes his introduction, he begins to be like, you guys are awesome. We're hearing so much about you. We think it's so great. We love what you're doing. There, you've been praying for us and we're so grateful for it. Your, your, your fame is going all throughout the land because you're so great. But in the book of Galatians, he doesn't do that. In the book of Galatians, he jumps right in to a rebuke. And rebukes are difficult. But we know that sometimes rebukes are necessary. And in fact, in Proverbs, it actually speaks about rebukes. And it says this in Proverbs 27.5. It says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Right? We're moving into a difficult section. But Proverbs 27.6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Now listen, no one likes being rebuked, am I right? Nobody likes it. You don't like being called on the carpet for something. Nobody likes to do that. And we live in a culture of rebuke. You know that, don't you? If you go online, you can put any opinion up that you want and someone will immediately rebuke you for it, right? It doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter somebody believes the other way and is going to rebuke you. But you need to understand something about rebuke. True rebuke only comes from those who are invested in you. Loving rebuke comes from those who have invested in you, who know you. 
So what we see online is a bunch of people who are not invested in one another just spouting off. And quite honestly, who cares by and large? Right? There's just too many opinions out there. And, and like, listen, as a pastor, I get rebuked sometimes. Not from you, from other people, probably. Every once in a while I'll get rebuked. And I got to tell you, I don't take them all that seriously unless it's somebody who I know, who loves me, who is invested in my life and who cares. If someone says to me, I don't like what you said, great. I don't know who you are. And that's, it's great that you don't like what I said. I'm sure you've got really strong opinions on something that I said, but I'm sorry. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I mean, I'm going to look at it and see if it's real or not and if I agree with it. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time in real estate that God has given me in my life on somebody I don't know. Now, when a brother comes to me or a sister comes to me who I know well, who's invested in the community where I serve, who I've spent time with and we've labored together, when they come and say, Pastor Tim, I want to talk to you about something, either that you said or a, a direction that you're headed. I want to talk to you about that. That's a different kind of conversation. That's a rebuke from love. A rebuke from ignorance I'm not so interested in. People come here all the time and immediately take issue at something we do. They're like, I don't like this. And I'm like, hi, my name's Tim. Have we met? You don't like this. Yes, this is my first time here and I don't like it. I'm like, great. Stay here a year, get involved in ministry, and then let's have this conversation. Until then, you're just a tourist and you didn't like your experience. And that may be harsh and that may not be what a pastor should be saying, but... The truth is, um, I love rebuke and love. I mean, I don't like rebuke, but I'll take it in love. I'm not going to take it from a tourist. And Paul's not a tourist. Paul's deeply embedded in the community of Galatians. And so he understands that sometimes that tough love is sometimes the greatest love. And Paul shows his incredible love and compassion for them with his willingness to rebuke them. Because he didn't have to. He could have left them leaderless. He could have left them fall into anarchy, but he didn't do that. And, and listen, if you've ever had to have a hard conversation, but one that was needed, you know how difficult this can be. Whether you're on the receiving end or whether you're on the giving end. Because sometimes being on the giving end is worse having to sit down with someone and help course correct them. But true love cares enough to do this. And true friendship makes it through. So let us begin. And I'm saying it that way again, just like I did last week. Let us begin. It sounds very formal, but we're taking this scripture seriously. So remember, we're looking at three different things that we hopefully see in the scripture. One, we're going to read between the lines to see what was going on. Two, we're going to see where the church in Galatia was taking a step forward and two steps back. And then thirdly, we're going to see where there's an overarching theme of us versus them to see what we need to do with that. So it begins like this, chapter 1, verse 6, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I am shocked that you are turning away from God. Those are harsh words to come right after a, hi, my name's Paul, good to meet you. I am shocked... And a lot of different translations say astonished, but I actually think using the two of them together gives the kind of emphasis that Paul was really trying to get to. He says, I am shocked and astonished that you are turning away so soon from God. Now, here's something that's important to note. In the tense that we see, they have not turned away. They are turning away. So it's not a lost cause. And this is why Paul jumps in when he does. Because they are turning away from God, but they have not yet turned away completely. He said, I am shocked and astonished. You are turning away from, 
so soon from God, because it wasn't that long since he was there. I'm shocked and astonished you were turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. Now this is important, right? Something that sounds almost like gospel but is not quite gospel. That is not gospel. Right? And, and we have often heard things that sound like gospel, but they're not. You see, Paul is in this, have you, ever, have you ever seen an accident happen? Like, but in slow motion, like in a parking lot, when you're sitting in your car waiting for, and somebody's pulling out and somebody's coming in, and you know they're going to hit, but you can't stop it. It's not fast. It's not going to be fatal. But you're like, no, no, no. Yep, there it is. Right? It's the worst when you can't stop it. And Paul is in the midst of seeing this, and Paul has an opportunity to stop a huge mistake. And the mistake is simply this. They were deserting the true gospel. And he just wants them to stop it. He wants them to course correct and go back. They were falling into something that seemed like the gospel but was not the gospel. So the contrast that we see throughout the book of Galatians will be the true gospel versus the false gospel. And perhaps we should make that distinction. What is the true gospel versus a gospel that is false or fake? So what we're going to do is we're actually going to turn to chapter 2, verse 16, and have Paul answer the question of what the true gospel is versus the false gospel. It says this, Yet we know that a person is made right, a person is justified with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Did you catch that? You with me? Everybody? Okay, because he says it again. He says, and we have believed in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. I said it a second time. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. He says it a third time. Paul repeats himself three times, not because he forgot what he just said, but because it's so important, he needs to repeat it. If you work with children, you know how this works. Right? Stop it. Stop it. I need you to stop it. You got to stop. I need you to stop. You need to stop. Can you stop? Please stop. That's what we have to do with people who don't always get it. Paul doesn't think you're dumb. Maybe. <laughs> Paul thinks you're not listening. Right? Because he knows that there's distractions. He knows that there's a lot of different voices in your head that you're hearing from a lot of different people. And he wants you to be clear on this. So he's saying, listen, we're made right by our faith in Jesus Christ, not by the law that we keep. And so what he's saying is this, the gospel is complete. It's complete. Everything that Jesus did is enough to save us. Think of your favorite food dish, right, your favorite one. I'm, I'm a fan of lasagna. Anybody here like lasagna? Like a good lasagna, right? Yeah, and, and we've all had Costco lasagna. It'll do in a pinch. But a real lasagna, like when it's made, like you can't say on a Tuesday afternoon at 4, I'd like lasagna for dinner at 5. No, you, you, need to, you need to plan for lasagna. You need to lay the thing and do the stuff. And I've never made it, so I don't know how it works, but it seems like it takes a really long time. <laughs> right? Or you go to a place that makes really good lasagna. But here's a question I have. If I took the core ingredients out and replaced them with other ingredients, would it still be lasagna? Or... If I added ingredients that don't belong, like say cookies or coffee or wood chips, 
Would it still be lasagna? No, it would be something else entirely and disgusting. It would not be what it is supposed to be, replacing the core ingredients or adding unnecessary things would no longer make it lasagna. And the gospel is like this too. Adding new ingredients or requirements for salvation besides faith in Jesus Christ is not the gospel that Jesus gave. It is something else. Now, we should ask the question, like, is the voice that Paul is giving us, the way he's speaking, is, he, is Paul mad or is Paul desperate? And the answer to that is yes, both of those things. He is mad about what's going on because they've left the gospel that he gave them through Jesus so quickly because it happened relatively fast. But he's also desperate because when you see an accident about to happen, you want to do anything you can to stop it. And you see, they were falling for something that seemed like the good news, but he says in Galatians 1.7, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the true, the truth concerning Christ. And this is not happening. So what's going on in the church in Galatia is not happening by accident. Someone is doing it. They're purposefully trying to subvert the gospel and bring people away from the freedom that the gospel brings and bring them back into the bondage of sin and bondage of the law. Because we know from Paul's other works that the only good thing about the law is that it points out sin. The law was never meant to save and the law never has saved you. So he's saying, listen, you're being pulled back in to something that you don't need. Now, why would anyone do this? A few reasons, I think. And there's lots more reasons. These are not, you know, exclusive to these particular reasons. But there's three reasons, kind of my top three. I think control is a reason people do that, right? You subvert the gospel, you give them something else so that you can control their behavior, you can control their lives, right? We keep people under our control by not allowing them to find truth themselves and letting the truth be simple enough for them to lean into it. I think that's one of the reasons, control. I think profit is another reason. Right? It's easy to raise money when you have all the answers, when people believe in your cause and your answers and they're not what is accessible to everyone. And by the way, we see this again and again in those preachers who preach prosperity gospel, who say God wants you to be wealthy and rich and that's how you know God is blessing you. That, that prosperity gospel, is, is, it's a horrible heresy. Because when you read scripture, God never says anywhere, listen, believe in me and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll live a lot longer. It's going to be great. In fact, he says kind of the opposite. If the world hates you, it's because you look like me. Because it hated me first. So we need to make sure we understand why someone is preaching what they're preaching. Because if it's for profit, there's a nefarious underlying um, motivation for it. And I think the other reason why people might add to the gospel or even subtract from it is identity. And this is what we particularly see in the, in the church in Galatia. Because what we have is Jewish Christians, they're not Jews, they are Jewish Christians, that's their background, telling Greek Christians that they must now be bound to the same laws and traditions that the Jews were so that they might have that same identity, right? So they are saying, you can't just be Christian, you have to be Jewish Christian, therefore circumcision, therefore a particular way to keep the Sabbath, therefore a particular way to eat. And these things give you the marks of identity 
that mean you can have the blessing of God. And parenthetically, understand that they didn't subtract from the gospel, but they added to it. They added all these requirements to the gospel, right? So remember the lasagna illustration? They didn't take ingredients out. They simply added those that were not there in the first place. And this is dangerous. Let me tell you why this is dangerous. It's dangerous because the more ingredients you put on, the more you have to stack up. And the higher that stack gets, the more you have to prioritize what it is you can and can't do and what you're going to believe in and what you're not going to believe in. And in the end, you're going to always raise to the top the things that you can control because we're human beings and we want to make sure we can control our own destiny. So what ends up happening is you spend all your time on the things that you can control and all of a sudden you've lost the gospel and you've become somebody who's just concerned about their behavior to get a reward. And that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is the gift of grace of Jesus Christ to all who would receive it. But then Paul says an interesting thing. Because Paul knows he can't just throw these words out without taking some responsibility for them. And he also wants them to understand the dire nature of what they are doing. So he says this in Galatians 1.8. Let God's curse fall on anyone. And then he says including us. So he's including himself. And then he includes a very strange thing. He says, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. This is Paul doubling down, right? He's willing to curse angels if that's what it takes. But what Paul is showing us is that these people who are preaching this false gospel, they're not even taking responsibility for it. And he says, I will take responsibility for the gospel that I preach. I will be accountable for the things that I say about God. And I will make sure that the things that I say about God and about the gospel are real and true and what came from Jesus. Now, see, we have problems in the church sometimes because one of two things can happen in an unhealthy kind of leadership situation. One of the things that can happen is that a, a, a leader cannot take a gospel stand and will allow heresy in the church. And what ends up happening is basically anarchy, right? Because there's all these different ideas going on in the church. And, and a, a leader who doesn't say, hey, no, we're going to stick to the gospel, doesn't drive people back to that, is going to have a church that's full of anarchy. But there's an opposite of that that is unhealthy as well. The opposite of that is tyranny in the church that says you have to do everything I say or you're not saved as well. Anarchy versus tyranny in the church. Those are two really unhealthy models of leadership and, quite honestly, preaching in the church. But what I think is really interesting is Paul, in these words, gives us a way to stay away from that. You can only stay away from these extremes when we implement Paul's combination of authority. God gave me these words to say. I'm, 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 I have the gospel authority, but I also have gospel accountability. So what I say about God, I have to be held accountable for. This is true in our churches, but it's also true in our lives. Because every single person who calls themselves a Christian has also been given the authority by Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. Right? So that means you, if you at some point in your life have accepted the grace of Jesus Christ, you have been given the authority to preach the gospel into people's lives. And you also have the accountability that comes with that. Right? Now it's easy to go, yeah, well, okay, I don't want the accountability, so I'm not going to say anything. Unfortunately, that doesn't really work that way. 
Because when you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand how deeply and how greatly you've been saved, it overflows, it effervesces from us, and it becomes something that we speak about. It's something that we live and it's something that we give. And then he says it again. He says, I say again what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And Paul's repeating it because it's important. And then he just clears the air and says, listen, I get it. This is not going to be making me popular. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You see, he understands the consequences of preaching the gospel, right? Standing up for what the gospel really and truly means. And he knows that he will not win any popularity contest. And throughout the last two millennia, there have been people who have been willing to stand up for the pure and unfettered gospel and that is the reason why we can preach the gospel today. We still have the true gospel because there are courageous men and women who have declared, like Martin Luther declared, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. And chances are, I would bet that at some point in your life, there is a courageous truth teller who told you about the gospel in a way that you hadn't heard it before who helped you understand what freedom in Christ really meant, helped you understand the assurance of salvation, to know that you are saved by what Jesus Christ did on the cross through his resurrection and his advocacy for you today. So who is that courageous truth teller in your life? And this is what I want you to do today because we need to be responsive to what God is calling us to. One of the things I want you to do today is I want you to reach out to that person, whoever it was, whether you do it in an email, a direct message on some platform, whether you even post it because you're not sure where this person is anymore. And I want you to thank them for teaching you about the true gospel because it changed your life. And so that's important that we let them know that you've been, you, your life was changed by the words they spoke of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want you to do that today. Galatians 1.11 as we continue on. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach, I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. That's powerful. And you remember his conversion story where he's knocked off his horse and Jesus speaks into his life. Paul, Saul at the time, Saul, you've got to stop persecuting me. And that was the beginning of his understanding, right? And, and we can still hear the voice of God, you know, as we study Scripture, as we allow the Holy Spirit to move. These are things that can happen. We do it in community so we don't go off a deep end, so we understand whether or not God is actually speaking to us or not. It's good to have wisdom around you. But God still does speak through his word, through the songs we sing, through the communities that we live in and pray in and play in. But Paul's still got to set up this argument because he's talking to a group of people that are sliding away. They're having what I like to call gospel drift, right? They were headed in the way of the gospel and then they started to get subverted and they started to drift away a little bit from their target. By the way, you know that the word hamartia, which means sin, actually means missing the mark. So they're having gospel drift. 
And they're starting to have other things be involved in the gospel. They're having other things buttressing the gospel and holding up the gospel when the gospel doesn't need anything to hold it up. And he says this because he's got to set up an argument that's going to continue through this chapter and the next. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Now, he's not bragging and he's not saying, he's, it's, not one of those, it's not one of those testimonies, and you've all heard those testimonies where people talk for like 45 minutes about how bad they were, and then they're like, and then I met Jesus, and everything's good. It's, he's not doing that. What he's saying is, I've been where you are. I fell into the traditions of my Jewish religion. And in fact, I was so in, I was willing to persecute people. And he even says this in the next verse, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He was all in. And Paul seems like a pretty, how do we say it? Like Paul doesn't do anything halfway. Paul's in. If Paul's writing about it, he's in. But then he says this, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. But then he says, listen, I didn't rush out and consult with any human being. Remember, he has to fight the argument that the church in Jerusalem is telling Galatia to do this. So he's setting up that authority again, right? There's a hierarchy and he works for the kingdom, not the empire. He wants them to understand like the church is important and he gets that. But he also wants them to understand there's a kingdom that's bigger than the church. And he continues on in that line of thinking, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went into Arabia and later I returned to the city of Damascus. He's acknowledging the kingdom. And then he says this, and this is kind of a weird place to end, but it's the place we're going to end. He says, and three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Have you had a house guest for 15 days? That's a long time. Have you had a house guest like Paul for 15 days? This dude was cantankerous. He was somebody who was like going to give you his opinion. He was going to say what he thought. And we'll get more to that as the time goes on. But you have to see what Paul was doing. Paul is trying to stop this train that's going off the track. So he's building a foundation on which he can stand so he can push it back in the right direction. And he understands that the foundation, the only foundation is the true gospel. The true gospel is the only ground that is not sinking. And he wanted them to understand that. And so he's having to push and he's having even to go back into his past and say, I've been where you've been. And the thing that got me out of it was no human being, it was no church, it was God who led me out of a false gospel and, and bondage to the law and bondage to sin. Something took him away and he's trying to get them to get there too. And listen, if you're somebody who grew up in a legalistic home, if you're someone who grew up with, with being unsure of the gospel, then you understand where these people were headed. And if you got saved from that kind of thinking because you experienced the true gospel, then you can understand Paul's anger, but you can also understand Paul's desperation. Paul does not want people to fall back into traditionalism that leads to death because what we do doesn't lead to salvation. 
What Jesus did leads to salvation. The, the idea that takes up too much real estate in our head at times is that we can make what he did on the cross better if we're just a little better. If we understand this a little more, if I keep something just a little bit more perfectly, then, then what Jesus did on the cross is a little bit better. Now understand, you glorify God by what you do and what you say and how you act and how you live. Absolutely. But what you do, what you say, how you act, how you live does not make the cross of Jesus Christ any more powerful because it's as powerful as it can be. And the gift of grace that he gave you the gift of grace that he gave you is complete. It is everything that you need to be saved. And when we fall into the idea that maybe, maybe I can help Jesus out just a little bit by being a little bit better or doing a little bit more, you misunderstand the gospel. Should we be involved in wonderful works of compassion and mercy? Should we be involved in equity and justice? All these things are absolutely true, but they come after the fact that you have been saved. So you are freed from your sin to be able to do those things as opposed to doing those things so that you might be able to crawl in the back door of heaven. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is the swinging wide of the heavenly gates saying you need to be here and I've given you everything that you need to have so that you might be my child. You might be the children of God and the kingdom may expand through you. Paul is setting up this argument. And like I said, 118 is a weird place to stop, but we need to today. And we're going to see him tease these ideas out more and more. And the reason why Paul is so adamant is because he's watching a train wreck in slow motion. And he wants to do everything he can to stop it. And you know what? That's kind of the same sort of feeling that we should have in our lives. Not dread for the accident that's coming, but motivation to get in the way and stop it. To be the one who can help these people who are moving in a, you know, who are drifting from the gospel, move back to a solid target of the grace of Jesus Christ. Man, that's how we got to live. And that's what Paul's pushing those people towards. So yeah, he's desperate, but he's desperate in Christ. And that's a whole different kind of desperation because it's not hopeless. It has all the power of the universe behind it. So let's bow our heads today. Heavenly Father, I think about this idea of communion where we think back to what it is that you did and we take your body and we take your blood. And we don't think back to the things that we've done that make all that sacrifice better, but we look back to what you did and recognize that that sacrifice can never be better. And Lord, we are so grateful for what you've given us and the grace and love that you have bestowed upon us. And Lord, may, be, may that be the motivating factor to push us towards a life of purity, a life of grace, a life of compassion, a life that seeks to be an incredible expression from you. But Lord, let us not be confused. Those are responses to the grace and salvation that you've given. Not a desperate plea to make you like us more. Because that's already been taken care of. That was taken care of on a cross, on a hill. And that was sealed when the tomb was broken open. And you came out victorious over sin and death so that we might have eternal life in you. 
Lord, it is by this grace that we continue to live our lives. And as we sing this final song, may you take it as a prayer, an offering, and may we recognize what it is that you've done for us. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.